When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Kuh. On today's show, we'll cover the latest news around baseball, highlight all of the trades that took place from the trade deadline, which was just way too much, discuss player performances from the past week, and recommend some hitter and pitcher streamers for the week ahead. But before we do that, John, welcome back. How did last week go? What were you doing? Uh, I was out in Seattle uh, on vacation, so that was nice. Um... And uh, ironically, I was in Seattle the same time that uh, the Mariners were playing the Twins. Um, oh. But they were playing them in Minnesota. So me and the Mariners decided to swap spots for <laughs> about a week. It would have been great if you could have caught a game there where they were playing the Twins. That would have been really awesome. Yeah. I, I haven't actually ever seen the Twins away. So it would have been, yeah, a, a new experience. And, uh, well, now T-Mobile Park. But, you know, Safeco is... is uh, pretty solid place to watch baseball yeah i used to know all of the names of the parks and now i have no idea anymore i lost track <laughs> of all of them they used to be so easy and now they're like t-mobile verizon wireless safeco happy field and i'm like i just i can't i don't know <laughs> yeah. what it is anymore <laughs> yeah it's it's a, it's a it's a tough game to to keep track of not not mentioning keeping track of all your fantasy teams as well yeah i have to monitor all of that all the player changes with the trade deadline, all the name changes on the parks. There's just a lot to keep up with in baseball, but it's good to have you back because my throat is feeling it. So hopefully with your return, we can take the burden off of my throat for just a little bit. <laughs> Before we get into this episode, I'd like to remind all of you that you can follow our podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL, and you can send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at thisweekplpod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we're on all of them, so make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and please leave a five-star review if you enjoy listening to us, we would greatly appreciate it. Now, let's move on to the MLB news since the last podcast. We're going to go through the news first, pretty much all injury-related things, then get into a prospect call-up, and then talk about all of the trades that took place. For the trade section, I kept it to just mainly the ones that have some sort of fantasy impact in deeper and shallower leagues. I didn't do all of the very minor moves, so hopefully that can speed things up a bit, but there is still a lot to talk about. So, starting with the news and injuries, we start with Bo Bichette of the Blue Jays, who was placed on the 10-day IL on Wednesday, August 2nd, with right patellar tendonitis. Bichette tweaked his knee pretty badly on Monday, which promptly caused the Cardinals to trade for a shortstop before the deadline, which we'll talk about later. He'll need an extended break for rest and treatment, but it did not look good. He was pretty shaken up rounding first base and just holding his knee. He was kind of limping off the field, so hopefully he'll be back soon because that's a pretty big blow for fantasy managers. 
And of course, when we lose a shortstop, Surprise, we get one back. Corey Seager of the Rangers returned from the 10-day IL on Wednesday and proceeded to go two for four with a three-run homer. Welcome back, Corey. Your early return makes a lot of fantasy managers happy. Nathan Eovaldi of the Rangers was placed on the 15-day IL on Sunday, July 30th with a right forearm strain. Rangers manager Bruce Bochy said that he expects for Eovaldi to return when first eligible, so that's good news. Not good news, Shane McClanahan of the Rays was placed on the 15-day IL on Thursday, August 4th with left forearm tightness. Uh-oh. The Rays said that they are in the process of gathering further information on McClanahan, and he's heading for additional imaging and additional options. And John, whenever I hear additional options and left forearm tightness, I can only think of one thing, and that's not good. So I don't know if we see McClanahan pitch the rest of this season, and... Hopefully we see him back next season. What do you think about this? I mean, he was dealing with injuries at the tail end of last season as well. Um, And they shut him down and he did come back in time for the playoffs. So maybe that's what the Rays are hoping um, in in this situation. Um, The good thing for them is that they can't really fall too far. I mean, yes, the Yankees are technically Yankees. And I think the Red Sox are, are technically on the outside looking in. Um, but if you're in the AL East, there's a there's a good chance that you um, are able to make it into the playoffs. And um, the Rays still are are kind of more built by their their offense right now rather than their pitching. Not saying that Shane Mack wasn't a huge part of that, but um, you know if he if he's out for let's just say a month or so, the Rays should still be able to to make the playoffs. And so they're probably just trying to go with abundance of caution here and just hope that you know a few weeks of rest uh, help him get back. Yeah, I don't know if it's a Rays philosophy or organizational type thing, but their rotation has been decimated. Jeffrey Springs first, then Drew Rasmussen, then Shane McClanahan. You had Tyler Glasnow out for a while, and he's still made of glass. So I don't know, man. I'm kind of worried about the Rays staff, and I don't know if it's the way they run things or the way they handle their pitchers. They are the most cautious out of everyone with their pitchers, barely letting them go six and seven innings. So to see all yeah. of these injuries happen, it's kind of a shock. I mean, they are also a team that bets on injured dudes, you know? Like, yep. Drew Rasmussen already had Tommy John. Yep. Um, and Jeffrey Springs already had injury issues before coming over to the Rays. Glass now is literally kind of made of glass. Um, yep. Like, he's had, he's had plenty of injuries as well. So they bet on these guys, and I think the reason they don't let them go six is because they know that, like, well, if we if we do that, right, like, they might not be there there all the way um, at the end of the season. And we're, we're seeing that with Shane Mack, too, a little bit. But, um, you know, hopefully hopefully the, the training staff there is able to, you know, do a little bit of work and, and help mitigate these issues. Yeah, we'll see if the Rays can hang on because the Orioles have taken the advantage on them. So we'll see how that ends up because the AL East is actually looking like a very fun division race. Luke Rayleigh of the Rays exited Wednesday's game against the Yankees with a right knee contusion. He fouled the ball off of his knee and is considered day-to-day for now. Joe Ryan of the Twins was placed on the 15-day IL on Thursday, August 3rd with a left groin strain. Ryan has been horrible in his last five starts, so you'd have to think that this is an issue that he was pitching through. I heard a lot of different reports about Ryan changing what he was doing on the mound to cater to this groin strain and kind of trying to pitch through it, and clearly it wasn't working. So hopefully the time on the IL gets him right and he can return to his dominant form that he started this season off with. So Joe Ryan, hopefully you feel better soon and that left groin strain works itself out. 
Byron Buxton of the Twins was placed on the 10-day IL on Friday due to nagging tightness in his right hamstring. Not good, he's been shut down for at least two weeks. Marcus Stroman of the Cubs was placed on the 15-day IL on Wednesday, August 2nd with right hip inflammation. Cubs manager David Ross said that he expects Stroman to return from the IL when first eligible. Joe Musgrove of the Padres was diagnosed with inflammation in his right shoulder capsule on Friday and was placed on the 15-day IL. He was scratched from his start against Colorado in Coors Field, and that had to do with him having minor shoulder soreness, and it looks like it progressed to something a little bit worse. Apparently, he will be shut down for three weeks, which is just brutal. Luckily, the Padres haven't ruled out Musgrove for the rest of the season, but there's a chance that they hold him out if the team isn't in a position to make a playoff push late in the year. I certainly hope not because I made a trade for him with a draft pick involved in my home league, and I have multiple shares of Musgrove, so I am deeply upset to hear about this news, and hopefully Musgrove feels better soon and can get back on the mound around the playoff time for fantasy purposes. Brandon Woodruff of the Brewers is scheduled to return to the Brewers rotation and start against the Pirates on Sunday. He's been out since mid-April due to a grade 2 subscapular strain. It's good to see Woody come back. Max Freed of the Braves returned from the IL on Friday and started against the Cubs. Freed dominated the Red Hot Cubs going six innings pitched, three hits, no earned runs, and eight strikeouts. He came back from a left forearm strain. Josh Naylor of the Guardians was placed on the 10-day IL with a right oblique strain and is expected to be out for three to six weeks. Brandon Nimmo of the Mets is battling some quad tightness and missed three straight games. He returned to the lineup on Friday, however. Starling Marte of the Mets was activated from the 10-day IL on Friday, August 4th. He's been out since July due to migraines. Jonathan India of the Reds was placed on the 10-day IL on Sunday, July 30th with plantar fasciitis in his left foot. He hopes to miss the minimum amount of time and has been ramping up baseball activity. JT Realmuto of the Phillies missed two straight games due to a hand injury, but returned to the lineup on Thursday and hit a two-run homer. Justin Turner of the Red Sox has missed two straight games due to a left heel contusion. Clayton Kershaw of the Dodgers could return from the 15-day IL next week. He's returning from left shoulder inflammation. J.D. Martinez of the Dodgers has missed three straight games due to left hamstring tightness, but he's expected to return to the lineup on Saturday against the Padres. Max Muncy of the Dodgers was diagnosed with a left wrist contusion after getting hit by a pitch on Thursday. X-rays came back negative, so it seems like it's a day-to-day -day situation for Muncy. Walker Bueller of the Dodgers is on the verge of beginning a rehab assignment. He threw a bullpen session in San Diego on Friday and could then head out next week for minor league games. Bueller may be worth a stash if you have the room for him, and he isn't stashed away by someone else already because, face it, someone probably drafted him and stashed him away at the beginning of the season. Mike Trout of the Angels will soon advance to contact swings. He's been doing dry swings without issues since Monday and is about to begin contact swinging. If it all goes smoothly, Trout could rejoin the Angels sometime in the middle of August. Shohei Otani of the Angels left his start after just four innings pitched on Thursday due to cramping in his right hand and fingers. He's not sure if his next start will be skipped, but it's something to monitor for sure. He did stay in that game, however, as a batter, so I don't know if it's that serious, but we'll see on the pitching side of things. Logan Ohapi of the Angels is on track to begin a minor league rehab assignment next week. He's returning from surgery to repair a torn labrum in his left shoulder that he sustained in April. Nolan Gorman of the Cardinals was scratched from the lineup on Thursday due to a bruised foot. He fouled the ball off of his foot on Wednesday, and it's apparently not a serious concern.
Anthony Rizzo of the Yankees was placed on the 10-day IL on Thursday, August 3rd with post-concussion syndrome. The concussion stems all the way back from his collision with Fernando Tatis Jr. in late May. Rizzo passed through concussion protocol initially, but has been experiencing residual fogginess from it, so that's a scary situation because initially he was okay, and obviously it shows that he's experiencing something because he went 45 games without hitting a homer. And he's been really bad with like a 170 average in that time. So you have to think something's wrong with him. And hopefully he gets better soon because that's definitely a scary thing for Rizzo. So get well soon, Rizzo. Hopefully you're back and feeling better very soon. Nestor Cortez of the Yankees is set to return from the 60-day IL on Saturday and start against the Astros. Cortez was working his way back from a shoulder strain, but he had to cut his minor league rehab assignment short due to our next player and last player in the notes here. Domingo Herman of the Yankees was placed on the restricted list on Wednesday after agreeing to voluntarily submit to inpatient treatment for alcohol abuse. The Yankees said that it's critical that Domingo completely focuses on addressing his health and well-being. Brian Cashman said Herman will not return this season, and I just really can't think of a worse person to throw a perfect game than someone who's been through domestic violence, alcohol abuse, many other problems, so... Domingo Roman, you are a mess, but hopefully you get your life sorted out. John, any notes about this list? There was a lot of stuff, and we got a lot more stuff to cover. <laughs> yeah, I'd say let's just keep going because uh, a lot of these injuries are kind of minor stuff. I mean, yes, people are getting placed on IL. The, the, that's huge, right? Like, you've got some big names here, India, Naylor, um, you know, guys that are major contributors to your team. But a lot of guys are just kind of dealing with tweaks right now. Um, obviously it hurts to see someone like Evaldi and McClanahan go on, on the IL, but a lot of these guys, like they're just kind of dealing with small stuff and baseball's a long season. So thankfully there's a lot of guys also returning from IL now. Um, and so that, that's good to see. Um, but ultimately, yeah, this is, a it's, it's not unexpected, I should say. Yeah, we lose some guys. We get some guys back. It's the ebb and flow of the baseball season. And like you said, it's a long season and we have a long amount of notes here. So let's get through it. Moving on to prospects. Only one here. Curtis Mead was called up from AAA by the Tampa Bay Rays on Friday. In AAA, since returning from a wrist injury, Mead slashed 355, 460, 438 in 113 plate appearances. He has second base and third base eligibility on Yahoo, but because it's the Rays, he probably won't play every day. He's not even playing after he got called up on day one, and he probably won't be too helpful for fantasy this season. However, he is a top prospect, so keep an eye on Curtis Mead. He could have some good upside, but right now I don't think you're going to get much out of him. And then last but not least, we move on to the trades. We went over a few trades last week. There was only like five we mentioned. We had a few big names get traded. Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez going to the Angels. Jorge Lopez going to the Marlins. We had Ahmed Rosario going to the Dodgers. David Robertson going to the Marlins. So a lot of big names here, but the rest of the blocks fell into place. We'll start with Justin Verlander, who was traded from the Mets to the Astros for two outfield prospects, Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford. Gilbert was the rank one prospect in the Astros organization, and Clifford was the fourth ranked. The Mets will also send the Astros about $54 million if Verlander's $35 million option in 2025 becomes vested. He's owed $93 million, and the Astros would pay Verlander $29 million for two and a third years of service. <laughs> Not too bad. 
Max Scherzer was traded from the Mets to the Rangers for infield prospect Luis Angel Acuna and Cash. Acuna was the third best prospect in the Rangers system and is the younger brother of Ronald Acuna Jr. So hopefully that lineage helps the Mets out. Tommy Pham was traded from the Mets to the Diamondbacks for infield prospect Jeremy Rodriguez, who's a 17-year-old shortstop prospect. Mark Hanna was traded from the Mets to the Brewers for right-handed pitcher prospect Justin Jarvis. Dominic Leone was traded from the Mets to the Angels for outfield prospect Jeremiah Jackson. Jackson was the ninth best prospect in the Angels system, and this trade shocked me the most out of all of them because I would have traded Dominic Leone for a bag of balls, and we got the ninth best prospect in the Angels system. So, hey, way to go. Thank you for Jeremiah Jackson. Jack Flaherty was traded from the Cardinals to the Orioles for infield prospect Cesar Prieto, left-handed pitcher prospect Drew Rahm, and right-handed pitcher prospect Zach Showalter. Jordan Montgomery and Chris Stratton were traded from the Cardinals to the Rangers for shortstop prospect Thomas Segesi, right-handed pitcher prospect Takoa Roby, and left-handed pitching prospect John King. Thank you, John King, for having like a normal name, Segesi, Takoa, and then it's just John King. Thank you for that. Jordan Hicks was traded from the Cardinals to the Blue Jays for right-handed pitcher prospect Sam Roberts and right-handed pitcher prospect Adam Klofenstein. Roberts was the seventh best prospect in the Blue Jays system. Paul DeYoung was traded from the Cardinals to the Blue Jays for right-handed pitcher prospect Matt Svonson. And as I mentioned before, once Bo Bichette went down, the Cardinals immediately reached out to the Blue Jays and were like, hey, heard you need a shortstop. And the Blue Jays acquired Paul DeYoung, and he's been getting everyday playing time since Bichette landed on the I.L. Michael Lorenzen was traded from the Tigers to the Phillies for infield prospect Hao Yu Lee. He was the Phillies' fifth best prospect. Jake Berger was traded from the White Sox to the Marlins for left-handed pitching prospect Jake Eater. He was the fourth best prospect in Miami system. And coincidentally enough, someone named Eater was traded for someone named Berger. Just thought that was kind of funny. Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly were traded from the White Sox to the Dodgers for right-handed pitching prospect Nick Nestrini right-handed pitching prospect Jordan Leisure, and outfielder Trace Thompson. Nestrini was the ninth best prospect in the Dodgers system. Kendall Graveman was traded from the White Sox to the Astros for catcher prospect Corey Lee. Keenan Middleton was traded from the White Sox to the Yankees for right-handed pitching prospect Juan Carella. And I only mention this one because Keenan Middleton was the only move that the Yankees made at the deadline, which is just weird. You thought that they were going to be sellers, maybe add a few pieces, and all they did was add Keenan Middleton. Ryan Yarborough was traded from the Royals to the Dodgers for first base prospect Devin Mann and shortstop prospect Derlin Figueroa. Nicky Lopez was traded from the Royals to the Braves for Taylor Hearn. Scott Barlow was traded from the Royals to the Padres for right-handed pitching prospect Henry Williams. Garrett Cooper and right-handed pitching prospect Sean Reynolds were traded from the Marlins to the Padres for Ryan Weathers. Aaron Zavale was traded from the Guardians to the Rays for first base prospect Kyle Manzardo. Manzardo was the 37th best prospect in all of baseball, according to MLB Pipeline. And this trade for me seems like a slam dunk for both sides. Obviously, the Rays need pitching depth with all their injuries, and Zavale is great. And the Guardians get back Kyle Manzardo. So great trade there. I think one of the better ones of the deadline. Josh Bell was traded from the Guardians to the Marlins for Gene Segura and infielder prospect Khalil Watson. Watson was drafted 16th overall in the 2021 MLB draft, but has had some off-the-field issues that have hampered his value, so this was definitely an interesting trade to me. Jamer Candelario was traded from the Nationals to the Cubs for shortstop prospect Kevin Maid and left-handed pitching prospect DJ Herz. 
Maid was the Cubs' 14th best prospect, and hers was the 16th best prospect in their system. Rich Hill and G-Man Choi were traded from the Pirates to the Padres for left-handed pitching prospect Jackson Wold, outfield prospect Estuar Suero, and first base prospect Alfonso Rivas. Austin Hedges was traded from the Pirates to the Rangers for international bonus pool money. Rodolfo Castro was traded from the Pirates to the Phillies for Bailey Falter. Andrew Chafin was traded from the Diamondbacks to the Brewers for right-handed pitcher Peter Strezelecki. C.J. Crone and Randall Grichik were traded from the Rockies to the Angels for right-handed pitching prospect Jake Madden and left-handed pitching prospect Mason Albright. Brad Hand was traded from the Rockies to the Braves for right-handed pitching prospect Alec Barger. Paul Seawald was traded from the Mariners to the Diamondbacks for Josh Rojas, Dominic Canzone, and infielder prospect Ryan Bliss. A.J. Pollock and Mark Mathias were traded from the Mariners to the Giants for a player to be named later. And Luis Patino was acquired by the White Sox from the Rays for cash. Whew, I need a lot of deep breaths after all of that. That was a lot of trade news. But John, any notes for the trades? Anything that stands out to you? Anything interesting? What about these trades? Uh, I'll talk about a couple. Of, I mean, we'll talk about a couple of these later on in the player recaps because some of these names are coming up. But um, I don't know about you. I mean... The Verlander Scherzer thing was like kind of surprising to me. It wasn't terribly surprising given all of the issues the Mets have had this year, and you know why not trade a couple older pitchers for prospects? But um, I thought that was that was kind of shocking. Um, Montgomery getting traded to the Rangers was kind of big. Um, seeing a bunch of the like solid reliever talents like Jordan Hicks and uh, Paul Sewell get traded, I thought was. Um, a little out of the blue, especially Seawald, considering that the Mariners were an above 500 team, but um, they just felt like maybe it was time to pull the trigger and, and get some get some trades going. Um, fun fact, though, um, I don't know if you you mentioned uh, Brad Hand getting traded to Atlanta. I believe now he's he has been on every single NL East team. At, that at sounds right. Um, which is going to be a fun little trivia thing, I'm sure, in the future, or yep. you know, some, immac <laughs> some immaculate grid uh, names for sure, if that comes up. Yep. Um, and yeah, I mean, definitely a lot of names on the move. Maybe not like the big ones that we were all expecting. Like a, a good chunk for sure got traded, but you know, guys like Teoscar Hernandez stayed put. Um, Adam Duvall, I believe, stayed put. Right. Yep. Yeah, I don't remember his his name wasn't mentioned here. Uh, Justin Turner didn't get moved. Cody Bellinger didn't get moved. Um, you know, a lot of these guys who, you know, let's just say two, three weeks ago, we were expecting to get traded. The bigger names ended up not not moving, but um, I'll, I'll, at least on the hitter side. On the pitcher side, it was just madness. So um, all, all in all, you know, pretty solid trade deadline. I'm disappointed for my twins because we, we did absolutely nothing, essentially. So, um, but I guess the rest of the division decided to sell. So I guess that worked out um, in our favor. Um but yeah, just a, a busy trade deadline as usual. And actually, fun story here. If, if any of you were on uh, Nick's stream on playback, when the news was announced that Savali got traded and then that Manzardo was going back to uh, going back to Cleveland, I'm pretty sure everyone who like played Dynasty Fantasy Baseball just kind of lost their minds. <laughs> uh, because like that's never a trade that you're making in Dynasty, in Dynasty Baseball. You're not trading Manzardo for Savali. At least I hope you're not. Um, and uh, to see him get to see that trade in real life was just kind of kind of hilarious for us to to experience. Yeah, that's a funny one. And speaking of big names, 
not being moved. I mean, the biggest name wasn't moved, which was Shohei Otani. That was someone yeah. where mm-hmm. we thought he could go somewhere and get traded and the Angels go for a haul. Instead, they became buyers and they got Giolito and CJ Crone and Randall Grichik and all mm-hmm. these players. So they're going for it all. I don't blame them. That's what you should do when you have Shohei Otani and you don't plan on trading them. And we also didn't see Nolan Arenado get traded, Cody Bellinger, like you said. So a lot of big names didn't get traded. And I was personally shocked, like you said, with Verlander and Scherzer, because I knew the Mets were going to be like pseudo sellers where mm-hmm. we're not going to compete this year. We might as well trade off people like Mark Hanna and Tommy Pham and David Robertson. Right. Yep. So that all made sense. But then when Scherzer expressed concern and then the next day was traded away, (laughs) I was kind of shocked. And that pretty much solidified my thought that, hey, Verlander's gone too. And I'm not mad about it. Like, obviously, it was great to see the Mets going for it all and wanting to win the World Series and paying all these players and going for it. But we were very old. We gave it a run. And then we just took that money and replenished our farm system. So I'm really not mad about it. I mean, I made a tweet saying all of the people we got rid of and all the people we acquired, we got Mm -hmm. 12 plus prospects for six players. I mean, that's really good. And most of these prospects are really good. Luis Angel Acuna is really good. We've got Drew Gilbert, who's really good. Ryan Clifford, who's supposed to be even better than Drew Gilbert, even though he's ranked lower. We got some good name guys. So I'm not mad about it as long as 2024 we don't look like we do right now in the season and 2025 we're competing for a world series. So I could talk all day about the Mets moves. I'm not going to drag it out, but I was shocked, but I'm happy with what we got back for who we gave up. Yeah. But ultimately it was, it was a pretty busy, pretty busy season for your team. And it looked like it worked out at least. And we'll, we'll see in a couple of years when, when these guys are able to come up to the majors, if, if it ends up being the right decision. Yeah, it was a little culture shift and a little bit of a shock, but it's starting to settle in my mind. And also one last comment about the trades is you mentioned it was shocking to see Paul Seawald get moved. And mm-hmm. the Mariners did get some depth pieces with Josh Rojas and Dominic Canzone, which is yeah. really good. But the main thing is I think that the Mariners just realized that they have a lot of relief talent. And obviously the Diamondbacks needed to make this move because they did not have a real set closer. So mm-hmm. Paul Seawald takes over that role and is no problem, but... Andres Munoz steps into that closer role for the Mariners now, which is a role that they pretty much primed him for. Mm, and yep. he's been so good since he's been in that role. He's gotten, I believe, two saves and a hold. So I think Munoz is someone that if he's out there in your leagues for some reason, if you just play in a saves league and Munoz is out there, grab him because I think he's going to lead the league in saves from this point forward. I certainly hope so because I think he was on one of my um... – I don't know if he was on a TGFBI team I had or something like that, but um, I was kind of bummed when he ended up being the setup man there. But uh, I, I'll take it. Um, I'll take it if he's, he's able to get some saves now. Yeah, I mean, Seawald got a lot of opportunities, and now those opportunities are all going to Munoz, and Munoz has really good stuff. So I believe in him fully. If he's out there, everyone, make sure you pick him up because he will get you a lot of saves. But That wraps up all of the MLB news since our last podcast. The injuries, the prospects, the trades, we covered it all. Took a little longer than we expected, but we got through it. And now you know all the information. But we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will give you the weekly performance recap. Stay tuned. This podcast is sponsored by Underdog. 
Want to make money making picks on MLB games? Then you have to try Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. In Underdog's Pick'em game, you just pick your favorite baseball players and predict whether they will go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, and more. Pick to two to five players, get all your picks right, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Be sure to sign up with the promo code PITCHERLIST and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100 so you have some bonus cash to start playing with. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy com or underdog fantasy in the app store sign up with promo code PitcherList and get your first deposit doubled up to $100 must be 18 year older 19 year older in Alabama and Nebraska 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates terms apply concerned with your play call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org in Arizona call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in New York call 1-877-8- Hope and why in Tennessee call 1-800-889-9789. Fads come and go and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, we are back and it's time for the weekly performance recap. Just a reminder for all of you, we get most of our hitter and pitcher highlights from the daily articles on the Pitcher List website. The hitter recap and SP Roundup articles are incredible resources to read through to see how players performed each day. So, John, who did well over this weekend? Yeah, we're going to start with, uh, well, it was a little bit of a heartbreaker for me, but Bobby Witt Jr. of the Kansas City Royals, he on on Friday against the Twins went 4-for-5 with a double, a homer, two runs, six RBIs, and a stolen base. Of course, that stat line does not talk about the fact that he hit a game-winning grand slam yep. um, off Jan Duran, of all people. Uh, just, you know, kind of a classic best-on-best best situation. Uh, Duran's a little homer happy. And uh, sometimes he just gives up homers to really good players. Like he he gave one up a, a couple months ago to Randy Rosarena as well. And it was just, you know, 101. Actually, it was a 102 fastball in on the hands. And Bobby Witt was just able to to get that out of the park and, and get the and seal the win for the Royals. So good for them. Uh, good for the Royals. Good for Bobby Witt as well. He's he's on a tear as well. In his last 15 games, um, he's had eight runs, 13 RBIs, a uh, smattering of homers and an OPS over 1,000. Uh, on the season, he's got a 747 OPS, so that's a little bit lower than you'd like, but honestly, he's hitting his stride now for the Royals. It just sucks that it literally means nothing because that team is absolute hot garbage. Um, but it's good to see him continue to develop in his second year in the majors, and he is yet developing in a really, really special way. Uh, Max Muncy, who we talked about um, earlier, uh, yeah, he had a little bit of a finger contusion, I believe, or a hip contusion, but he did play some games this past week. He, on Saturday, went two for three with two homers, two runs, and three RBI. 
Uh, got his 26th and 27th homer of the year. He is still well behind Shohei Otani, but that's okay. Um, his average is still pretty terrible. He's still below the Mendoza line. Like, if you have him in an average league, I'm, I'm sorry for you. I have Muncie in an OBP league, so I'm I'm living life because he is doing amazing in, in OBP and slugging currently. Um, his his OPS on the season is 826. Um, the, probably one of the marks against Muncie right now, though, is the high strikeout rate. Um, he's striking out around 28% of the time, which is his highest mark since his um, since his rookie season. Uh, so maybe that could affect his OBP numbers um, as the season goes on. Uh, but honestly, he is chugging along really well in his last 15 games, 11 runs, 14 RBI. He's got an OPS over 1,000 as well. Uh, but now we'll just see yeah, how long is he out with that injury situation. And it shouldn't be too long. Like I wouldn't be surprised if he's playing games over this weekend. And then finally, C.J. Abrams, who has been basically taking the baseball world by storm in the last few weeks. He went two for three with a run and three stolen bases just because he could. Um, you know, we're jokingly saying this, uh, you know, if, if you counted the season to start after the All-Star break, C.J. Abrams has probably been one of the best players in the National League. Um, you know, jokingly, a second-half National League MVP. Obviously, that designation will go to Ronald Cunha, but... Uh, Abrams has been, yeah, been lights out uh, since the All-Star break. So basically 16 games uh, up to Sunday uh, since the All-Star break. He's been batting 308. He had three homers. He's had 10 stolen bases. He's contributed more even this week as well. Um, and yeah, he, he is playing for the Nationals, so there's not really a ton of RBI opportunities for him. Uh, he is basically just kind of getting on base and hoping that one of his teammates is able to, to bat him in for a run. Um, but you know, I think he's legit, and uh, he might have a, a good opportunity to continue to blossom on that team. Maybe this year's not the year, but certainly in, in, in coming years, he might be one of those guys that you target for, for speed and maybe some average as well. So Bobby Wood Jr. is having such an incredible season, and he started off so slow, and everyone was like, oh, Bobby Wood's a bust, all acting grumpy and whatnot. But his average is up to 269. He's got 19 homers and 31 steals for the season with a 781 OPS. His baseball mm -hmm. savant page looks really good. He doesn't walk much, which is his only downside. But right. he looks really good. And if he's giving you these counting stats, he's a fantasy monster. So people mm -hmm. were worrying way too soon about Bobby Witt. He looks really good. It just is unfortunate, like you said, that the Royals team around him is hot garbage. Max Muncy, I also have him in an OBP league, so it's very nice. But if you have him in an average league, I think he's less important to you <laughs> because that average is brutal. And C.J. Abrams, I mean, he was a huge top prospect. He was the main piece in that trade. So I think that Abrams really is legitimate, and I can see mm -hmm. him being a budding fantasy star moving forward. And he's still super young, too. So yep. he's, he's got a long way to grow. And um, he's gotten so much major league experience already, even though he is young, right? He played a good chunk of games for the Padres last year. He's yep. playing a lot of games for the Nationals this year. So even though, obviously, he's never – him and Mackenzie Gore are never going to match up to Juan Soto. Like, honestly, this trade is it, kind of working out for the Nationals a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Like, when you see the return of C.J. Abrams and Mackenzie Gore, who were the top prospects at the time in the Padres system – you were like, oh, wow, that's a really good return. But you always just mm -hmm. think, you know, the guy getting the superstar, Soto, is going to be the right. better end of the deal. But, hey, man, if Soto, I mean, well, Soto's still playing really, really well. But if Soto falls off a little bit and C.J. Abrams takes that next step up and Mackenzie Gore can, you know, take a step up as well, 
that's a really good trade for the Nationals. Yeah. Moving on to pitchers, uh, Grayson Rodriguez of the Baltimore Orioles had a no decision on Friday against the Yankees. He went 6.1 innings with zero earned runs, three hits, two walks, four strikeouts. Uh, yeah, the his location here was pretty solid. Um, fastball's high, breaking ball's low. Um, the problem is that he his low secondaries were still kind of in the strike zone, so he wasn't really able to get a ton of strikes with that. Um, did manage 12 whiffs, but, you know, wasn't super elite. Uh, would love to see more whiffs from Grayson, Grayson's profile. Um, his fastball velocity is up, though. It was uh, hitting 98 in this game. And, yeah, that that was enough to kind of get six scoreless innings because the Yankees, who, you know, right now are kind of a quad-A team, but still, uh, you want to be able to do well against teams like that. Uh, he did face Toronto in the middle of this week, uh, was one out away from a quality start there. Uh, but unfortunately, he gets Houston next week, which is kind of a tough thing for anyone who has Grayson Rodriguez on their squad. I had him, and I, I didn't start him against Toronto because I didn't feel great. And I basically dropped him because I was like, well, I'm not going to start him against Houston as well. And so that might be a tough decision for a lot of a lot of fantasy managers if, if you're if you're willing to roll the dice there with Grayson. Uh, of course, he's kind of staying on the roster because his teammate, Tyler Wells, went up against the Yankees on Saturday and had a pretty awful start. 2.2 innings with three earned runs, three hits, three walks and one strikeout. Um, and he did all that with 63 pitches. So he clearly wasn't feeling great. Um the walks aren't aren't great considering the fact that Wells has been a really solid command guy this season. Um, and then, of course, the Orioles responded by sending him straight down to double A uh, to kind of get things squared away. I would say he should be back, though. Like, he did have two really tough matchups coming up, so maybe this is more of a confidence thing uh, rather than anything. He was really good in the first half of the season, but he's just had absolute duds since the All-Star break. So the Orioles are, Orioles are hoping that he can just tweak a couple things and then be back uh, in two weeks when he's able to be brought back to the Major League squad. So if you can stash him, go ahead. I had him on one of my teams, and I wasn't able to stash him because it's a 10-teamer, and you just have to kind of move on and... and you know, get better guys if, if they're available. But uh, if you have, if you, if you're able to stash, if you have an extra roster spot and you're a little bit deeper league, I would say Wells is definitely a guy still worth keeping on your roster. Finally, rounding out the pitchers, we have Aaron Savali of the Guardians. Well, I guess formerly of the Guardians now uh, going against the White Sox, six innings with zero earned runs, three hits, two walks and four strikeouts. Savali was a little bit lower on, on the fastball, but not low enough for anyone to be too worried. Um, and yeah, his, his, the interesting thing about that was that his fastball velocity was down in the past two starts. So now it's back to normal. And yeah, the the cutter and the curve worked really well for him here. Uh, you know, not necessarily great in terms of the whiffs category, but was definitely getting called strikes with a 31% CSW on the night. Of course, he ended up getting traded to the Rays, as we mentioned. And he has the, uh, he still gets to face Detroit uh, this week um, on Saturday. So that will be really nice for him. Uh, however, like we've mentioned, the Rays just kind of like getting their starters only five innings. So it might be tough for him to get a quality start like he is here that he was getting in uh, Cleveland, but he has a better chance at wins at least. So we'll see if this ends up being good for his fantasy prospect for the rest of the season. Uh, but at least he gets a start out of his Rays tenure with a pretty easy start. The one thing to note with Savale is that the trade with him and Manzardo, they do have control over Savale till 2025. So the Rays mm -hmm, do true. get a pitcher that they have control of and they like having control of their pitchers and whatnot. So I think that's why that trade looks a little bit better for them. 
for giving up Kyle Manzardo. But mm-hmm. for this start, I mean, Savali just keeps on cruising. He's looked really, really good as of late. And he's just one of those guys that really does well in good matchups and performs eh, in the tougher matchups. Right. But I think with a little bit of the Rays magic, I mean, it really isn't much of an upgrade because the Guardians are really good at developing pitchers as well. So it's not yeah. like he's going from a good situation to a great situation or a bad situation to a good situation. He's kind of just staying even. So I think Savali mm-hmm. could keep this up. I don't know if they tinker with his pitch mix at all, but he's looked really good. So hopefully he keeps that rolling. And then Grayson Rodriguez, he's getting there because you can see why he is a top pitching prospect and the stuff just looks great. So hopefully he can turn that into legitimate results. Obviously four strikeouts is a little underwhelming, but 6.1 innings pitched of no run ball is fantastic. So hopefully we see the next level out of Grayson Rodriguez because he can definitely take that leap and become a fantasy ace in the blink of an eye. So hopefully we see that. Moving on to Monday, July 31st from the Daily Hitting Recap article from Andrew Abramo. We start with Jose Altuve of the Astros, who went one for two with three walks, two runs, and two stolen bases. This season for Altuve has unfortunately been riddled with injuries, the hand injury from the WBC, an oblique injury later on. It sucked for Altuve. However, when he's on the field and healthy, he's producing like he normally does. With the Astros trying to flag down the Rangers, I'm sure getting Altuve and Jordan back means the world to them. Altuve immediately set the pace on Monday, opening up the game with a bunt single and then taking advantage of Noah Syndergaard and stealing second base. As long as Altuve is on the field, he's a top three second base option for fantasy. He could even be number one, but obviously when there's only half of a season for him to get your numbers, he can't really do much. Next, we have Joey Manessis of the Nationals, who went three for four with a double, a homer, a run, and three RBI. Manessis took Corbin Burns deep for a solo shot in the second and then followed it up with a two RBI single in the seventh. For the season, Manessis started off slowly, but has picked it up a bit as of late. His slash line is currently 280, 320, 403, with eight home runs, 42 runs, and 58 RBI in 101 games. There was a lot of hope for Manessis coming into the season after a strong finish last season, but he's been kind of underwhelming and not extremely useful for fantasy purposes, so. If you do roster him, you're probably upset. I would only roster him in the deepest of leagues, 14, 15, 16 team leagues. 12 and 10, you probably should cut bait. And last but not least, shout out to Cal Raleigh, aka Big Dumper, for hitting two home runs on Monday as well. Manessas, to me, was one of those guys at the beginning of the season that a lot of uh, projections were hyping up. Um, And obviously, like, yeah, it's because he had a really good season last year. Um, And... Yeah, it just hasn't been great. You know, I mean, the the 58 RBIs is definitely really nice. Um, that's that's probably in line with the production you were hoping from him. But with only eight homers, uh, just just not as great. But he is hitting for average, which is a good thing to see uh, for a guy who doesn't have that big of a track record. At least that's been uh, consistent this season. So Manessa is, like you said, more of a deep league guy. I wish the hype was real from him that that was in the the beginning of the season that that that's continued but it hasn't uh but he's still yeah worth a pickup if you need someone to fill in for an injury or something like that and yeah Altuve just it it sucks that he missed the entire season but rest of season yeah he's definitely still a top three second base option and I I don't think there's much more you can say about that yeah with Manessas he's a two category contributor right now with RBI and average not what you really pinned him on (laughs) to start the season Right. If he was at like 15 to 16 homers right now and had this exact slash line with like 60 RBI, 50 runs, 280 average, 
he'd be great. He'd be an option that I'm willing to run out in shallower leagues. But the eight home runs really holds him back because you can find better production elsewhere in those shallower leagues. So unfortunately, Manessis didn't take that next step forward or continue the production. But like you said, the RBI are really good. The average is really good. So there is some good aspects to Manessis. But the team around him got a little bit worse since Candelario's gone now. So hopefully Manessis can continue strong and finish out the season pretty big and maybe end somewhere around that 20 homer mark. Moving on to pitchers from Monday from the SP Roundup article, Stroh is me from Nick Pollock. We start with Tyler Glasnow of the Rays. He went seven innings pitched, one earned run, three hits, two walks, and eight strikeouts against the Yankees. Glasnow seems to be fully back, and it is awesome. Since June 25th, Glasnow has 63 strikeouts in 43.1 innings pitched. He's gotten a quality start in his last four starts, and for the season, has a 3.15 ERA, a 1.08 whip, and 96 strikeouts in 68.2 innings pitched. His slider was sick in this one, and he earned a King Cole with a 37% CSW for the day. Now, if only he can stay healthy, and that's a big worry for me right now because, like I said earlier, these Rays pitchers are dropping like flies. It is scary to see. They have so much good pitching talent, and just to see them get injured and waste their seasons away is pretty brutal. But Glasnow looks great right now. Next, we have Nick Pavetta of the Red Sox, who went 7.1 innings pitched, 3 earned runs, 5 hits, no walks, and 10 strikeouts against the Mariners. Hot damn, Nick Pavetta, you are looking good. Pavetta has been subjected to long relief roles as of late, where he'd follow up a 1 or 2 inning opener, and then go 5 or 6 innings to nearly finish the game. In that role, Pavetta was absolutely dominating. He even had a six innings pitched, no hits, 13 strikeout relief outing against Oakland during that span. Well, he finally cracked the rotation and he shined. Sure, the three earned runs isn't ideal, but only five hits and no walks with 10 strikeouts and 7.1 innings pitched. That's pretty good. I've always believed in Pavetta's stuff and thought he could be a stud, and maybe the time for that is now, or maybe it's a mirage, but either way, I'm picking him up and testing the water here because there aren't many better options out there, and Pavetta is a huge lottery ticket. If he hits, he pretty much can help you win a league, but if he doesn't, then you just drop him and cut bait, so it's not that big of a deal, and I think his upside is better than most out there on your wire. And then lastly, shout out to Seth Lugo, who went seven innings pitched at Coors and had nine strikeouts with only two earned runs. He's been awesome, everyone. Pick him up if he's still out there. I love me some Lugo. He's fantastic. I mean, I'd love to pump the brakes on Pavetta, but, uh, you know, he is just a streaming option, so I don't, I don't know if you can really ever pump the brakes on streaming right, options. Right, yeah. They're just like, well, if you pick him up and he sucks, well, you can immediately drop him. Like, he's not a guy you're going to keep on your team. I guess the, the big thing here is, you know, he was he only managed 12 wins against Seattle, which is a team that loves to whiff. Yep. And he did get 10 strikeouts, which is really solid. But that kind of you know screams like, oh, he got a lot of a lot of called strikes, and that kind of worked out for him. Even though like a lot of his pitches are built for whiffs, right? Like his curveball for sure is one of those pitches that um, just wants to keep guys guessing. And we, and we talked about Pavetta at length, you know, earlier this earlier this season too. Yep. Um, in in a in an article interview. So you know what. I don't mind it if if he is able to get it going um, in terms of like a, a two to three game streak. There's no reason for for managers not to pick him up. Um, he does get Kansas City on Thursday, so yeah, I'd start him. Um, I don't know who he gets after that, but if all you need is one Kansas City start from Nick Pavetta, I'd probably take that. 
Yeah, and it's mainly of a thing of if he's out there on your wire, right? Who else are the options you're looking at? Like Brady Singer, Mackenzie Gore. These guys are okay, but the upside of Pavetta and what he's doing right now, we've seen multiple 10-plus strikeout performances in relief roles now in the start. I think it's worth the gamble. And once again, if he's not good, you just get rid of him. It's not like you're stuck with him. So I would take the gamble on Pavetta. I think he's a good pitcher, and he's pitching well right now. So obviously he could be a disaster, but hey, I'd take that gamble any day of the week. Right. This is fantasy baseball. You got you to gotta be willing to make some of the, you know, I, I wouldn't say picking up Pavetta is a tough move, but... You know, sometimes you have to be able to willing to take a little bit of risk with some of these these options. Absolutely. Well, moving on to Tuesday's games. Thanks to Mark Stubinger for the daily hitting recap article here. Uh, Juan Soto. Uh, we're going to talk about him first. Um, big biggest thing about Juan Soto actually was that he didn't end up getting traded on this day. Uh, instead, he decided to celebrate by going two for five with two homers, two runs, and four RBIs in cores. Of course, that's what you happen when you. Yeah, you put one of the best hitters on the planet in cores. They they just go off apparently. Um, his second and his home runs were monsters. Four thirty eight feet for the first one. Four thirty one feet for the second one. I think Michael Harris also had a two homer game this day, and his homers went a bit farther than Soto. So that's a little funny with him being in cores. But yeah, he's uh, he's been dominating this year. Twenty two homers on the season, a two seventy five batting average, which probably actually is a little bit lower than you were hoping to see from Soto. But 62 runs, 68 RBIs, um, just pretty good lines from him, even though the Padres haven't been doing so hot. Uh, in his last 15 games, he's had six homers with 16 RBIs and a 1267 OPS. So that's pretty insane. That's basically MVP numbers. And granted, it's only a two-week stretch. So yeah, you might say, oh, that, that's just because he's not a hot streak. Well, he's a 951 OPS on the season, which is still like basically all-star level. So while this is definitely a very nice hot streak in the last two weeks, it's definitely real as well. It, it would not be out of uh, the question for him to sustain this type of pace for another uh, month or so. Uh, the other guy that I'm talking about here is probably someone that no one really knows, uh, Leova Perguero, who is currently the shortstop for uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates. I just know him because he's on my dynasty team. That being said, though, on Tuesday, he went one for three with a homer, a run, and two RBIs. Um, he's hit three homers so far this season in just 30 plate appearances. He hasn't had a ton of games up in the majors. Uh, obviously, the reason why he hasn't really played a ton is because the Pirates had another uh, pretty solid young shortstop in O'Neill Cruz. He got injured, of course, but other people ended up moving up in the depth chart ahead of Paguero. Um, there's, there's definitely some nice uh, mix in his profile. Um, you know, that third homer is only in 30 plate appearances. So, you know, you want to extrapolate that. I mean, I'm not saying that he's going to be the next, you know, Aaron Judge or something, but he's definitely got some power in his makeup. Um, it looks like he's at least sealed that shortstop job for now. Nick Gonzalez is one of the other guys that um, Pittsburgh had up there, and he's been sent down to the minors. So it's kind of Perguero's job uh, to lose right now for the remainder of the season. Um, in the minor leagues this year, he was in double A and triple A. And so in 348 play appearances, so about half a season, he's hit 13 homers and stole 21 bases. So definitely nice power speed combo. Those numbers are not going to translate to the majors immediately. He does have a really high strikeout rate right now in the majors, which makes sense for a rookie. He's probably still only worth, you know, a look at in very, very deep leagues or NL only leagues. Um, but he is a guy to keep an eye on. Just he might he might pop off. The homers might continue. He might be able to get some steals here and there um, and just contribute really well for you in a utility or a middle infield spot. 
Yeah, not much to mention on the over Paguero. He was a top prospect and he can be very good. So I definitely would keep an eye on him. And in the deepest of leagues, if you need a player, the over Paguero is definitely a name you could grab. Juan Soto, not much to say as well. He is a stud. You draft him in the first round for this reason. His OBP is through the roof. His OPS is fantastic. So yeah, Soto is really good. <laughs> That's probably the best way to call it, right? Soto is yeah. really good. He's really good. Uh, yeah. Well, moving on to pitchers, we're going to talk about the uh, article from Nick Pollock titled Rodon Quixote. Great name there. Uh, we're going to start, of course, with uh, Framber Valdez. Why would we not? Uh, nine innings, zero earned runs, zero hits, one walk, and seven strikeouts. Uh, yeah, one walk away from being nearly perfect. Um, so great day for Framber Valdez. Um, Cleveland Guardians is just an unfortunate day for them, but I guess they are one of the worst offenses in the majors for a reason. But yeah, uh, just a really, really solid day from Framber. Uh, it was even funny. Like, it was such a classic game where he only had seven strikeouts in nine innings. Like, even in a no-hitter, he was like, yeah, yeah, this is kind of his normal Framber line. Um, the makeup here in terms of what he was throwing, he wasn't using a ton of cutters, uh, was getting sinkers over the plate that uh, basically ended up as outs. Um, if you were watching this game, you know, you probably noticed the Houston defense was putting in not a ton of overtime, but, you know, they were doing their job to make sure this this uh, this stayed a no hitter. Um, but yeah, the cutter is kind of one of the things where we'd like it to be better, but it wasn't his curve got 12 whiffs at least. So really solid there. Um, and that's what you love to see, at least he's, that he is getting strikes. And, you know, hopefully Framber at some point can become like a strikeout inning guy. He's had flashes of that throughout the season, just isn't super consistent. Um, that all being said, uh, his last three starts before this game were awful. Um, and that's not saying that Framber's a bad pitcher. Obviously, he just threw a no-hitter. He's clearly really, really good. Um, but that's just, you know, a little bit of a pump the brakes here. He faces Baltimore next, and Baltimore is not a pushover team. Um, and so he's also very much in the mix of a, a heavy AL West team, uh, race, and there's going to be a bunch of, they're going to be facing a bunch of good teams down the stretch as well. And so while this is a great start for Framber, um, just, you know, a little bit of caution, you know, and, and recognize that it wasn't his best stuff. Uh, he just was able to really take advantage of a poor hitting team and still sprinkle some of his, you know, Framber Valdez uh, awesomeness in the middle of it. Uh, the other pitcher we're talking is Sandy Alcantara, who went up against Philly in a no decision, eight innings, zero earned runs, four hits, one walk, and five strikeouts. Just another classic Sandy line where yeah, he has really a lot of a uh, lot of solid innings, but just only five strikeouts, which uh, I, it's kind of tough being a Sandy manager because he doesn't get as much strikeouts as you want, and this season has been pretty tough as well. Um, you got hyped about Sandy's start last week. Um, remember listening to that and pretty, being pretty excited about it. And so, yeah, that's two beautiful back-to-back -back starts from Alcantara. The changeup wasn't as good in this one, was giving up some hits, uh, but mostly out, which was nice. Um, maybe he doesn't get this lucky in the future. He, he still needs to fix something with that changeup. Like, it's not completely back yet. Um, but it's two good starts of Sandy. Uh, it's something to build on for him. And hopefully, uh, yeah, that's able, that is able to continue for him and the Marlins as they make this run in the NL East. And then finally, Andrew Heaney and Zach Eflin also had six shutout innings as well today, or I guess on Tuesday. It's really solid from both of them. Heaney's had a really bad season this year. Eflin's had a pretty solid season this year. So good to see both those guys at least uh, perform on uh, on Tuesday. 
So congratulations to Framber Valdez, obviously, with the no-hitter. It was cool to watch. I was at Bowling League, actually, and I was watching the whole thing on my phone. So that was pretty cool to see. And yeah, he looked good. It wasn't like an absolute domination. The Guardians lineup was like historically bad. I mean, they had Oscar Gonzalez batting fifth. And I don't know. There was a lot of questionable people in that lineup besides Jose Ramirez. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was kind of one of those like, here you go on a silver platter, just make it work. And it happened. But yep. nonetheless, dominant performance, no hitter. It's still a no hitter. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you take those. And then, yeah, I'm super excited about Sandy because he looks like he's getting back to form. And this is a line that you would see from the previous season. I mean, he doesn't strike out a lot of people, like you said. His strikeouts come from volume. So eight innings, five Ks, obviously not great, but zero earned runs in eight innings, quality start. You take that every mm-hmm. single time. So I'm just happy to see Sandy not having that one inning that detriments him, that puts him into a box where it's like, oh, he had five earned runs, but they all came in the second inning and every other inning was great. Like, I'm happy that's not the case right now. And he's on a little bit of a roll, so hopefully he can finish strong and maybe the Marlins make the playoffs because Sandy turned it around. That'd be a cool thing to see. Yeah, I would I would be I would love to see Sandy in the playoffs. It would be it would be really, really, really good. Um, just imagining him as like the the starter in game one, um, just uh, yeah, he definitely deserves it. So uh, would be fun to see. I think the last person to pitch a complete game in the playoffs was Madison Bumgarner, which is Ooh. ages ago. So it would be nice to see Sandy go complete game shutout in a postseason game. And hey, if that happens, I want this as a soundbite and then just a montage of <laughs> Sandy Alcantara strikeouts and nine innings of success. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that Marlins bullpen is not looking as solid as maybe some people were hoping after training for David Robertson. So Sandy might have to just pitch a complete game just based on the fact that they don't want to hand it over to the the bullpen. Yeah, I believe in Sandy. I think he could do it. (laughs) But moving on to Wednesday, August 2nd, from the Daily Hitting Recap article from Seth Klusmeyer, we start with Chaz McCormick of the Astros, who went two for three with two home runs, two runs, three RBI, a walk, and a stolen base. I'm super happy to see McCormick continue to stay hot from July. In the month of July, he had a slash line of 351, 440, 688, while hitting six home runs and swiping three bags. I was recommending everyone to pick him up because the numbers that he was giving fantasy managers were nuts. Even though the underlying metrics and stat cast analytics didn't look too great, he just keeps producing. And he's someone that should be rostered and started in even 10-team, three-outfield leagues because he's been that good. He's hitting in the fifth or sixth spot in the Astros lineup, and he's given you results. So it's all you can really ask for. Chaz McCormick has been great. And then two team shout-outs here. This is a weird one because the hitting performances were, like, all on the same teams. Shout-out to all of the Cubs. They scored 20 runs on Tuesday and then 16 runs on Wednesday. That's just baffling. Some highlight-worthy performances came from one new acquisition, Jamer Candelario, who went 4-for-4 four four with two doubles, four runs, and a walk. Ian Happ, who went 2-for-4 with two home runs, three runs, two RBI, and a walk. And Christopher Morell, who went 2-for-5 with a double, a homer, a run, and three RBI. And then shout-out to all of the Braves as well. They torched Lucas Giolito for nine earned runs and scored 12 runs total for the day. Ronald Acuna Jr. went 3-for-4 with a double, a homer, four runs, three RBI, and a walk. Matt Olson went 1-for-2 with a homer, a run, an RBI, and three walks. Michael Harris II went 3-for-4 with a double, three runs, and two RBI. Austin Riley went 1-for-4 with a homer, a run, two RBI, and a walk. And Ozzie Albies went 2-for-4 with a double, a triple, and two RBI. I mean, that's like the 1-through-4 and Michael Harris the 9-hole hitter, but 
just imagine facing that on a day-to-day basis. I'd be mortified. That's <laughs> scary as heck, man. That's actually insane. But shout out to both the Cubs and the Braves because they went on offensive binges. Yeah, I mean, like we mentioned, like basically Atlanta has, what, two of the top four front runners for the NL MVP, yep. probably, in Acuna and Olsen, and then in, what, it's it's Corbin Carroll rounding out, and then I guess I don't know who the fourth guy was referring to. Um, Yelich, maybe? Be, yeah, kind of. Soto hasn't had the, the season yet. Tatis has been really solid, but missed a month, obviously. Um, at, at least two of the top three front runners for MVP for sure. Uh, I yep. guess you you could put Freddie Freeman up there. Let's let's just do that. Yeah, hundred um, percent. But yeah, and then the Cubs actually was it was funny because someone texted me. One of my friends texted me on Tuesday. He was like Belly, and I was like, uh, "What about Belly? Like, did he just get traded or something?" And this was like maybe like two hours after the deadline, but I had logged off by like at five p.m. by that day, so I didn't know if there was like you know a thirty minute a deal that happened like thirty minutes after the deadline that was finally announced. Right, and it was like, no, he just had a great game. And I was like, oh, what? And, oh, the Cubs scored twenty runs. Oh, okay, nice. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, the Cubs were like, we're gonna we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be challenging for the. Uh, the playoffs and then the team was like yep all right we're behind you on that we're going to respond to the front office in a, in a great way so um yeah really solid uh well solid called solid couple of days for for the cubs as well yeah the cubs have been really good and jamer candelario seems like a sleeper acquisition over the trade deadline he looks like a really good pickup for the cubs so it's good to see them moving in a good direction and yeah cody bellinger has been great i'm very happy i took a lot of buyback opportunities on him for the low low price yeah but moving on to pitchers from wednesday from the sp roundup article joe ryan's welt from nick pollock we start with cole reagans of the royals who went six innings pitched no earned runs seven hits one walk and eight strikeouts against the mets many of you probably haven't heard of cole reagans and i don't blame you. He's 24 years old and was drafted by the Texas Rangers in the first round of the 2016 draft. He only pitched in the majors in 2022, where he threw 40 innings to an 0-3 record and a 4.95 ERA. In 2023, though, he was traded by the Rangers to the Royals in the Aroldis Chapman deal. With that move, it opened up a door for Reagans to become an everyday starter, and he seemed to be ready for that role. He has a 97 to 98 mile per hour fastball and a nice curveball that follows the Blake Snell blueprint perfectly. In this start, the fastball was a bit down, sitting 94 to 95, but against a depleted Mets lineup, it more than got the job done. Reagans is an exciting young arm that I think is worth taking a flyer on. I think he's got the stuff, as long as he can execute it and be precise with his locations, do the Blake Snell blueprint, I think he could be really good. It's definitely a surprised to see a Royals pitcher be very good. I mean, we were excited about Chris Bubich, Brady Singer at certain times, but this was a legit start for Cole Reagans, and he had a 38% CSW in this one, so really good stuff from Cole Reagans. Next, we have Cutter Crawford of the Red Sox, who went five innings pitched, no earned runs, four hits, one walk, and five strikeouts against the Mariners. Speaking of taking flyers on pitchers, you should also take a flyer on Cutter Crawford. In this start, he didn't really dominate, but he got through the Mariners lineup pretty easily. None of his pitches returned a 30% CSW or higher, which is not very good. However, what is very good is Crawford has a two-start week next week against the Royals and the Tigers. You can't get much better than that. So that might be a little bit of foreshadowing for a segment later on in the show. But yeah, Cutter Crawford looks pretty good. His last few starts have been good, and he's got juicy matchups coming up. And last but not least, we have Dane Dunning of the Rangers, who went 7.2 innings pitched, one earned run, three hits, one walk, and 11 strikeouts against the White Sox. 
Dunning is doing his absolute best to stay in the Rangers rotation after they acquired Max Scherzer and Jordan Montgomery. This start featured Dunning having a 36% CSW and showcasing some excellent command. He had 13 called strikes on the sinker and had to return a 41% CSW. He's been great as of late, and he gets the athletics next, so it's worth the gamble to see if he can earn his spot in the rotation and give our good old friend Martin Perez the boot. <laughs> That's top 30 pitcher to you. Top 30 Martin. SP in 2022, Martin Perez to you. I, I, yeah, I think it was, wasn't he like 31? Or he was like 30, I think he was 36. Yeah. He was like very so close. close. Very close. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I'll I'll just spoil it. Cutter Crawford, you should pick him up for these starts. Like he's so available on in on Yahoo and ESPN. Yep. Uh twenty six on Yahoo, six percent on ESPN. Like just just pick him up. Like even if you're in a quality start league, like Cutter Crawford's like kind of worth picking up because he might go six. Um. So there's that, and yeah, the the, the schedule super nice. And yeah, Reagan's. Um. So the funny thing with him was at I think it was at the beginning. It was like preseason. Um, and Nick was having a stream and we were talking about sleepers and someone was like, well, if you had to take someone like in like round 30, you know, who are you taking? He's like, oh, Cole Raggins. And th that's when he was like on Texas and not sure if he had a spot in the rotation right. at all. Um, obviously it's been a long run because he, he, uh, hasn't done anything. This didn't do anything this season with the Rangers. Um, but yeah, he got traded to Kansas city, got an opportunity. Now everyone's talking about him and, um, yeah, his his next couple starts aren't the best because obviously Kansas City being Kansas City, they don't really have easy matchups. <laughs> Everyone's a tough matchup for them. Um, but he is kind of lined up for Boston and then St. Louis. Like, not necessarily pushover teams, but teams that won't necessarily just, you know, smack the crap out of you. Um, so he, he might have a shot to be a, a worthy two-star pitcher next week. Yeah, so Cutter Crawford also just want to throw this out real quick is that Usually when there's matchups like these, where it's a two-star week against two of the weakest offenses and it's the most blatantly obvious stream, yeah. usually those kind of go south. So I just want to give a yeah, little disclaimer true. that the, I think this is a no-brainer stream. I will personally be streaming Cutter Crawford in multiple leagues next week. So yeah. I just want to let you know that I'm following what I preach, but this also smells of like, what happened? This was oh, such totally. an easy matchup. Yeah, completely. I mean, yeah, it's it's Kansas City at home. They might just get a ton of hits off the monster and just, you know, knock them out or something like that. So You never know. It's a scary situation, but I like my odds. Yeah, Bobby Witt might hit a, might hit a game-winning Grand Slam or something like no, that. None of that, none of that, none of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, moving on to Thursday. So we talked about Shohei Otani getting pulled from his start. However, he kept hitting because it was just his fingers cramping. Um, he ended up going two for two with a homer, two runs, an RBI, two walks, and a stolen base. So nice little combo meal for Shohei Otani. Um, yeah, I was actually super confused by this because uh, I have him in an ESPN league and, and I can only have him pitch or hit. I can't have him do both. And so I saw he left the game in the fourth inning. I was freaking out. I was like, shoot, does he hurt? You know, what, what's going on? And then immediately like, he hits a homer. You know, just classic, just Shohei Otani being a boss. Um, I wish I could have gotten that homer and that steal in my matchup, but, you know, that is what it is. Um, I don't know if they're going to skip him in his next start. I mean, finger cramping seems like a very sort of day of sort of injury. It doesn't seem like a thing that would be lingering. So expect to see him start, I think, in his next matchup. Um, it's coming up against the Giants. 
So that should be a nice start for Shohei. But yeah, I don't I don't really know if there's too much to say here. He's just the best player in baseball right now. Um, Tyler Soderstrom, another rookie that I wanted to highlight, mainly because he's on my dynasty baseball team. But he went one for three with a homer, a run, and an RBI, getting his first homer of the season. Soderstrom is one of those like hot catching prospects that um, basically was one of the reasons why Oakland was willing to deal Sean Murphy because they had him and Shea Langliers as as options uh, behind the plate. Um, he hasn't really done too much in the majors. He's actually been pretty awful. Uh, but you know, it's just his rookie season. He's still kind of getting acclimated to the majors. Again, he plays catcher, so that's kind of a big thing here as well. Is that he is um, that's that's one thing that he has to figure out at the major league level uh, more than maybe some other rookies have to figure out. Um, and so, yeah, Soderstrom he might not be good this year, but it's good for him to at least get his first homer of the season. He's got a lot of power in that bat. He could be a legitimate you know pickup next season in drafts. Uh, but right now this season, unless you're like in a super deep like two catcher league, um, yeah, the, there's really no fantasy value for Soderstrom. So Shohei Otani, goat next. Tyler Soderstrom, <laughs> he is someone that there was some hype for, and he has a lot of potential. But yeah, I think this season is just going to be a learning season, a get your feet wet kind of season for him, and I don't think he's really viable anywhere in fantasy. Right. Uh, moving on to then the new Jack City article from Nick Pollock. Kind of a, a, a double meaning here because Jack Flaherty is the pitcher of meaning, and he is in a new city. Um, so shout out to Jack Flaherty, who's now with the Orioles, moving from the St. Louis organization. He went six innings with one and run, four hits, two walks, and eight strikeouts. And a win. So good way to make a first impression in Baltimore. He hit 97 miles an hour. Uh, and then stayed at 94, which is kind of funny for a guy who earlier this season was like, ah, don't ask me about my velocity. And then, you know, um, he, he hit he hit some high velocities in this one. Of course, he was back to his normal self um, by, by the end of the by the end of the start. Um, but the real story here was the fact that his cutter was increased. I don't know if that was an, or, an Oriole decision or if that was a Jack Flaherty decision, uh, but it was dominant. 46% CSW on that one pitch. Um, it was down uh and club side basically so he was basically you know pitching it where it wasn't supposed to be hit um instead of you know trying to get some uh, sneaky called strikes on it or just trying to get the get the guys to roll over on it he was actually you know pitching it for strikes essentially and trying to get whiffs there um curve was really solid as well um really good command in general so just a really good start from jack flaherty uh, unfortunately, he does get Houston next, so he can tap the brakes on you know the resurgence being immediately back. He does get a tough opponent, but if he does well on that one, you know maybe the Orioles like kind of figure out something in just one start with Jack Flaherty that he's been kind of struggling with this entire season. Um, he was essentially like not startable for a good chunk of this season, but now with the Orioles, maybe maybe they know something we don't about Flaherty. Uh, just be careful here. You know he he might he might stumble a little bit next start. And then Julio Rios uh, came back uh, five innings with zero earned runs, three hits, one walk, and five strikeouts over sixty-eight pitches. Uh, don't worry about the pitch count; it was planned. It was planned for him to get pulled after five innings. Um, he looks solid. Uh, looks like you know a guy who, basically, the guy that we were expecting at the beginning of the season. Um, he gets Arizona away and Colorado at home next, so some nice matchups for him as well. Um, if he's able to, you know, generate whiffs. Um, he didn't have a lot of whiffs this game, only five of them. 
but he did come with five strikeouts, so there's that. Um, if, he, if he's able to kind of get back to where he was last year, you know, just kind of maybe this reset is helping him get to that point, uh, then, yeah, you could have a potential second-half ace on your hands here with, with Urias. It's definitely nice to see Urias back and pitching well, so good thing he's back. Mainly, I wanted to talk about Jack Flaherty, and that's because Jack Flaherty looked like vintage Jack Flaherty. He looked really, really good in this one. His velocity was up. Obviously, that's just natural adrenaline for wanting to perform well for your new team. I get that. I don't think he's going to stay at 97 mile per hour. I think he's going to be at 92 to 94 moving forward, but he definitely is able to hit that velocity. If it stays, then he's looking really good, but he did something that was really impressive where there was one out and he had the bases loaded and he ended up getting out of the jam with a strikeout and a flyout. And it was really impressive. It just looked like the Orioles got the guy they needed. It was like that moment where it was like, yeah, we did right. And honestly, they didn't even give up too much for him. They gave up mm-hmm. a top infield prospect, Cesar Prieto, I believe his name is. And he was blocked already by Jordan Westberg and Jackson Holiday and a bunch of other good prospects that they have. So they didn't have right. to give up a huge name for Jack Flaherty, and that's pretty impressive because he looks like he is worth it right now. Yeah, it's uh, that might be one of those trades that works for them because, like you said, they have all the offense young guys that they need. Um, they just need pitching, and um, obviously Tyler Wells went down, so uh, you know they lost another guy who was supposed to be a solid dude in the rotation. I mean, when Kyle Gibson is your rotation ace. And I should say 35-year-old Kyle Gibson is rotation is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you've got some issues. So it's nice to see Jack Flaherty kind of the move, maybe move into that role this season. Absolutely. But now we will take a quick break. And when we come back, we will give you some hitter and pitcher streamers for the week ahead. We'll be back after this. We are back and it's time for pitcher and hitter streamers. John, who are the pitcher streamers for this week? We kind of already alluded to one of them. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to spend too much time on Carter Crawford. Just pick him up. He's got a really nice schedule. Even if, even if he doesn't get Detroit next week um, at the tail end of the week, he's still worth picking up for the Kansas City start. Uh, the next guy to talk to, Steven Matz. Actually, uh, if you've been following the streamer articles that Nick puts out, uh, this has already kind of been spoiled, but um, he's had really, really good starts. Uh, he is also going against Kansas City at the end of the week uh, next week. So maybe it's, you know, let's pick on Kansas City week. But I feel like it's let's pick on Kansas City season, if we're being completely honest. Uh, he just went six scoreless against the Diamondbacks, then six swords against the Cubs. Then he gets Colorado on Saturday at home. That should also be a good start for him. So, yeah, he gets to finish all of that uh, with a Kansas City start. Uh, yeah, I'm picking up Steven Matz. And, in fact, um, I'm trying to pick him up for my uh, game today. Uh, and then finally, this one, I don't know if I feel good about it, but AJ Schmidt-Schauber, 9% on Yahoo, 2% on ESPN. He goes up against the Mets uh, on their doubleheader next Saturday. Uh, Lee, I don't, I don't know about you. How do you feel about the Mets as a team to stream against? So, honestly, I have been picking on them this entire week with streamers. <laughs> yeah. And it's unfortunate. I hate to say that, but... Mainly because Nimmo was out with a quad tightness injury uh-huh. and yeah. Marte was out with migraines. The lineup looked horrendous, like yeah. infinitely worse than you could imagine. Like we have Rafael Ortega in center field. We have DJ oh, Stewart yeah. in right field. We have people that you've never heard of in the bottom half of the lineup. <laughs> you have Danny Mendick at second base. So they were easy to stream against. But now yeah. Nimmo's back. Now Marte's back. 
I don't know if I'm that confident. I still think that there's a little bit of a hangover where the Mets are not in the right headspace. They're still trying yeah. to wrap their heads around what this season was. And now that yep. they've lost all their friends in the trade deadline and the team's going over a little bit of a restructure. So I'm a little bit of a coin flip. I like AJ Smith Shaver. I think it really depends on what the Mets have been doing right before his start. Like if they are mm-hmm. doing well offensively in the few games leading up to that, I'd probably yeah. pass. But if they're getting destroyed by pitching, full send because sure. they are not in the right headspace right now. Yeah. Uh this is a doubleheader, so I, sometimes I like streaming a doubleheader. It's just for the just for the sake of like, you know, randomly teams will keep out guys who should be starting uh in doubleheaders. Um so yeah, I guess look at the lineup and see if yep. it's a soft one for Smith Shaver to attack. If it is a triple A team, go ahead. Uh if it's you know, if they've got everyone in there and that that's just that just seems like a lineup that could kill. Uh, yeah, don't start Smith Shaver. Um, he hasn't necessarily been solid either. I mean, he was sent back to AAA obviously because his uh, two starts prior to being prior to being being sent down were pretty terrible. Um, but in this case, I I think with the doubleheader, if if they trot out a AAA lineup, this is at least a a win probably for Smith Shaver. I don't know if it comes with anything else, but you know if you're just win hunting, this might be this might be a stream for you. Yeah. Since it's the second game of the doubleheader, I feel like most of the mainstays like Marte and Nimmo, they'll probably get rest because they don't want to push them going forward. So I think the second game of the doubleheader is better for Shaver. So I think that's probably a good stream. But once again, check the lineup, see how they've been doing. And if it looks good, then go for it. It depends also what you need for that week as well. But Mm -hmm. if I had to rank these streamers, easy Cutter Crawford one, Matt's easy number two, and then Smith Shaver's the wild card at number three. So... I like the options. Crawford and Matt's are really good picks, so make sure you guys pick them up and start them for the next week because they have beautiful matchups. Moving on to my hitter recommendation, just one. It's Michael Garcia of the Royals. He's 30% rostered on Yahoo. He's got third base and shortstop eligibility. He's currently on a seven-game hit streak and has been sprinkling counting stats all over the place. In 76 games, he has a 284, 329, 394 slash line. With four home runs, 15 stolen bases, 33 runs, and 36 RBI. His savant page looks great as well. He's 84th percentile in average exit velocity and 89th percentile in hard hit percentage. If you need some speed help in deeper leagues, a fill-in at corner infield or middle infield, or just a hot bat to stream, grab Garcia because he's been really, really good, surprisingly. Even though we pick on the Royals lineup constantly and we say how bad they are, Bobby Witts had a great season, Vinny Pasquantino was doing okay till he went down with injury. Michael Garcia is looking like one of those guys that is one of the bright spots in that Royals lineup. Yeah, honestly, it's their pitching that's pretty terrible. Yeah. Um, but their hitting is, you know, yeah, beyond, let's just say, Bobby Witt, um, Garcia, uh, Nick Prado has some of his good days. The, the rest of the team is is pretty pretty rough. <laughs> yeah, and Michael Garcia gives you steals. I mean, he's got 15 already, so... If anything, yep. if you just need Steele's help, go for Garcia because he's going to provide you that while hitting to a good average. So I think Garcia is a good pickup if you need help. Corner infield, middle infield, need to make up some ground in stolen bases, anything of that sort. I think it's a smart grab. But those are the streamers for the week ahead. And that wraps up this episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Before you all go, make sure you follow us on Twitter at ThisWeekPL. 
or send us your comments and questions to our email at thisweekplpod at gmail.com. You can find John on Twitter at thejohnka. That's T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E. And you can follow myself on Twitter at Regicidal. That's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Pitcher List podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts on. And please leave us a five-star review if you enjoy listening to the show. Lastly, sign up for Pitcher List Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the Pitcher List Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week. We will be back next week with another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. For John, I'm Lee, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone.